so uh, thanks a lot for joining us today, Hemel. To start with, could you give us a little bit of background on who you are and what you do? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my background is financial services. I was a mortgage broker for just over nine years at two of the largest mortgage brokerages in the UK. So I started um, in this industry in about 2009. Um, worked at a company called London and Country Mortgages for about three and a half years. I then left London and Country and moved to London and worked at the oldest brokerage in the UK, a company called John Charcoal. Um, primarily on a self-employed basis. And that just means that I, I'm looking after my own clients and all the clients I'm dealing with are my clients rather than their clients. Um, and I dealt with a, especially at John Charcoal, I dealt with a larger variety of more complex cases. So when we talk about bits, we're talking about adverse credit. So I dealt with more clients that had a variety of different adverse credit issues, more complex in income, that sort of thing. So I got a lot of experience in this area. Got it. And uh, just just for people who aren't familiar with the industry, when you say a mortgage broker, what what is what does a mortgage broker do, and why would anyone go to that? So a mortgage broker is an intermediary between um, a person that's either buying a home or remortgaging their property and the mortgage lender themselves. Um, the reason that somebody may choose to employ a mortgage broker rather than dealing with the lender directly themselves is twofold. So, firstly, um, people are inexperienced dealing mortgages so there's very much a one-sided nature to the conversation when you're dealing with a lender directly because the lender works with this every single day whereas you might deal with this once every couple of years or this might literally be the first time that you're dealing with this so ideally you want somebody in your corner when you're going through a purchase transaction in this instance it would be the mortgage broker um, another reason that you'd choose to use a mortgage broker over going to a lender directly is <laughs> about the level of information that you have access to versus the mortgage broker. So like I said, in this instance, a mortgage broker deals with these types of mortgages on a daily basis. So they have a much better overview of the entire market. They know which lenders will do what and which lenders won't do certain things. So you're going to waste less time than if you were trying to do it yourself. And you're also potentially going to access lenders that you may not have knew existed or product types that didn't, you didn't know existed um, through a broker that deals with this on a regular basis. Got it. And how do, um, how do lenders decide who to give money to? So I, mean, I, I want to get a mortgage. Uh, mm -hmm. I apply to Barclays or you know, any, any other lender. How are they going to decide whether to approve me or reject me? So there's a variety of factors. So um, the most common ones that we hear about are, are things like affordability. So every lender in the UK has to run an affordability check on a potential customer to ensure that they can afford the monthly payment. And those calculators tend to be on their websites so you can see how much they're prepared to lend to you. As a rule of thumb, it used to be that it's about four to about four and a half times your income. Some lenders will push that a little bit further up to about five and a half times your income. But there are also other factors that determine whether they're prepared to do that or not. So when we talk about affordability, we're talking about things like your income, whether you're buying with somebody else and their income, any potential debts that you have, any children that you have, these all get factored into that affordable calculation. The next thing that we look at is criteria. So the criteria is simply the lender saying, these are the rules by which I will decide whether or not I will lend to somebody. So a lender may say, for example, 
I won't lend in a building that has more than 10 floors in that building. So if you're trying to buy on the 12th floor of a 20 floor building, that lender is going to say no to you. Uh, whereas if you're buying on the eighth floor of a 10 floor building, they will say yes. Um, so there, there's a lot of criteria that lenders have in the background to determine things like what type of income will they lend against, what type of properties will they lend against, what's the profile of the person that they're lending against as well. So when we talk about bits and we're talking about um, credit, so they will talk about if you've had a default in the past X number of years, we can or we cannot lend to you, depending on what's happened with that default, the size of it, and so on and so forth. So that's where criteria kind of comes into this. And then finally, we have credit score. So credit scoring is done individually by each lender. So what they're doing is they're taking the information that the broker or their advisor, whoever that may be, puts into their application system and they're combining that with information from the credit reference agency. So people like Experian or Equifax. And essentially what they're doing is they're creating a score from their own algorithm that says Hemel's got a score of, let's say, 700. And what happens is within these systems, they have different thresholds depending on how much deposit that you're going to put down as to whether what, what level of score that you need to get. So if we take my example of Hemel having a score of 700, in that case, let's say I only had a 10% deposit. With a 10% deposit, the lender might say, you need to get a score of 750. So in that case, I can't do it. But if I had a 15% deposit, I only need to get a score of say 685. So if my score was 700 in their internal system, they could lend to me with a 15% deposit, but not a 10% deposit. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, I, I think that's fascinating. So uh, is it, it sounds to me like you're saying that while as a consumer, I am only familiar with uh, credit agency scores, uh, Hemel, I'm going to turn the video off because I, I think it's lagging a bit at my end. Sorry about that. Um, so it, it sounds to me like you're, what you're saying is that while as a consumer, I may only know about my credit score with these credit agencies, Experian, Equifax, and Call, Call Credit, actually uh, lenders, mortgage lenders, have their own scoring system. And when you right. said you need to, when you gave your example and you said with a 10% deposit, I need a minimum score, for example, 700, uh, you were talking about their, the lender's internal credit score, right? Correct, yes. So this is, again, where a broker can help because a broker will know that with a certain client profile where we've had defaults, for example, that certain lenders will still lend and other lenders won't lend. Um, it, it's one of those things that comes with experience, whereas if you try and do it or just from you know the, the lender's websites or from a uh, aggregate, a tool like Money Supermarket, you're not going to know which lenders are more lenient and who are going to be more open to certain types of adverse credit compared to uh, other lenders. So there are high street lenders that will lend to people with adverse credit. You just have to know which ones will lend. So does uh, so does my credit score with Experian and Equifax matter at all then? Because if you're saying these guys all have their own credit scoring, then should I even care about the score itself? I understand what you said, that the content of the file matters, defaults, et cetera. But I mean, I have a triple nine on experience. Does it matter at all? In my opinion, I've seen people with triple, triple nine scores on experience fail. And why did they fail? Um, they had a minor piece of adverse credit. Um, okay, interesting. And I mean, so it just seems like this giant black box, right? Is there any information that I can get. So 
does every lender have their own score? Like, is there any similarities here? I mean, I, this guy, it's this mysterious score that is about me, but that I can't even see, right? Oh, unfortunately, yes, it, it is that world. So um, lenders all have their own internal score things that we don't have access to. Um, so in the past, it very much was on effectively broker intu intuition of if you come to me and you've got a certain um, case type, let's say you've got a default for £50 on your mobile phone. I know that certain lenders will ignore mobile phone defaults, so we can still go to those lenders. Um, as to what score that you get, nobody sees that. Nobody knows what score you got internally on Santander's uh, uh, credit systems. Um, where the market is improving and technology is helping is we're now getting access to things like um, multi-decision and principle tools uh, that are available via brokers, for example, where you can try and test with multiple different lenders all in one go. So that's going to hopefully give a bit more um, enlightenment to um, <coughs> this black box. But in reality, nobody wants to show us the black box because they don't want to show us exactly how they decide whether to lend to a person or not it doesn't it's not in their favor right um i understood and okay so so i guess just <clears throat> to to move on a bit you know let, let's say that i have made mistakes in the past i had a ccj on my phone bill which by the way was totally accidental i moved address i didn't get it it was two years ago now mm -hmm. Now, this is obviously something that has happened that I have no control over. How do I know if I'm ever good enough for a mortgage? And how do I know when I'm good enough for a mortgage without always having hard checks run on me? Sure. So this is where lender criteria really helps. So lender criteria can be pretty clear on these things. Um, so they will say, um, so especially specialist lenders, they will be explicit about the boundaries. So they will say that certain product types are available to people that have had fewer than two defaults totaling 500 pounds in the past three years. Um, if you've had, if you exceeded that figure, you might go onto a different tier of product. This is typically with specialist adverse credit lenders. So they will be very explicit around that sort of thing. High street lenders, again, they tend to have some rules, but when we come to one-off instances, like you just mentioned there, there can be exceptions made. So there can be a gray area where um, if you go and talk to the lender and you talk to the underwriters, which is what a lot of brokers will do, and say, look, this is what happened with my client's case, they will say, put it through, see if it passes, score if it's closed. If it is, we'll have a look at it on the basis that this was a one-off thing. And we can very clearly see that you've had good credit elsewhere. So it's not like it was an inability to pay because you've managed to pay all your credit cards and your other loans, et cetera. It's just that you weren't aware that this 50 pound mobile phone bill existed. Um, mobile phone companies are notorious for defaults um, on customer uh, credit files and lenders have gotten to the point where they'll actually ignore mobile phones specifically because of this. But this applies to everything. <coughs> Got it. Um, and going through that process, so having a conversation with a broker and then having them run that through the lender, that wouldn't show up on my credit file, right? That's not like a hard check on my file. No. So um, if the broker is just having a conversation with the lender or just checking criteria, there's no credit scoring done whatsoever. In fact, they don't need a whole host of information to be able to even have that conversation. You can do it with fairly basic information, provided you know all, all the other criteria. Um, 
Yeah, so it, 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 there's no hard footprint or anything along those lines. It's only at the point where you submit a decision and principle to that lender where a footprint is going to come on your credit file. Whether that's a soft footprint or a hard footprint depends on who the lender is. Um, what I will say is that there are some lenders out there that will um, not give you a specific product until you do a decision and principle with them because the way that their systems work is that their scoring and their checking of your credit file will uh, determine which products that you're actually eligible for and actually this is probably a good time for me to say there are some lenders out there that don't credit score you they only credit check you the difference being that it's not reliant upon you achieving some magical score that you don't know exists but rather um, it's dependent <laughs> upon certain things not being on your credit file so if, if you say, you know, you've, you've got to have less than two CCJs and you have, then you'll pass the credit check. So there are lenders available that will do that sort of thing as well. And how do I find these lenders? Specialist Again? lenders. Uh, so obviously I'm biased because of my brokerage background. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, I would say go talk to a broker. They're just going to be more experienced at this sort of thing than you are. But um, there are special <clears throat> um, adverse credit lenders out there. I'm sure there's a list website with a list of all those lenders out there somewhere. Um, what, what I will say is some of these lenders will only deal uh, via a broker because they want somebody to be giving you advice throughout this process and they may not be, have the scale to do that themselves. Um, but I'm sure there are websites out there. Uh, after this call, I'll try and find some for you so that you can put it up with some show notes or what have you, if you have them. And uh, do I have to pay a broker or, or do they get paid by the lender? So both. Um, so all, all deals that a broker arranges will carry what's known as a procuration fee. A procuration fee is essentially a percentage of your loan size that is given to the broker as effectively a commission. Some brokers will work purely from that and they won't charge a fee. Other brokers will charge a fee. So it's up to you as to whether or not you go with a fee charging broker or a uh, broker that, or that it does it for free. Um, there are differences between those typically in terms of how you are treated and how you are handled um, that will dictate which way you go. I guess what I was trying to ask was uh, if I just pick up the phone, so I, I Google and I find a couple of brokers or I get your recommendation. If I just pick up the phone and call them, um, will they even talk to me or will they want me to sign a fee agreement first? No, so the lenders, uh, sorry, the brokers will uh, all talk to you up front so very few brokers charge a fee up front um, some may charge a fee at the point of application others will just charge everything at the end so success if it uh, goes through then correct correct okay uh, I'm, I'm not aware of any brokers that charge their entire fee up front um, and you lose all your money in the event of an unsuccessful application where you may lose money in the event of an unsuccessful application is things like if a lender has a booking fee on their application that's non-refundable or if you have to pay for a survey and then the application fails after that then that those monies will be lost but typically you wouldn't be paying brokers um if the application didn't proceed got it okay so what advice would you give to someone who's looking to get a mortgage in a couple of years and maybe has made mistakes in the past like an unsatisfied default or ccj what what should i be doing if i if i uh, know i've made mistakes but i'm good now and i want to get a mortgage so if you don't if you have unsatisfied um defaults or ccjs ideally you want to get them satisfied what you're trying to demonstrate to the lender is look i made a mistake 
it was a genuine mistake. I didn't realize it or I was in a bad place at the time, but now I'm in a better place and I can show you that I'm in a better place via my credit file. So I'm assuming that this hypothetical person has seen their credit file already. If they haven't, they should do to understand what's going on there. And then, like I said, anything unsettled, unsatisfied, ideally try and settle that and then start to show good behavior. So I often encourage clients that have either adverse credit or very little credit to start running a small expense through a credit card, for example. Um, just like if you on a debit card, instead of the debit card, put it on the credit card, pay it off in full each month. What you want to show that lender is, look, I, I made a mistake in the past, but now I'm showing a history of paying my bills, paying everything on time like it's been requested. I can manage credit. That's the story that you want to convey to the lender. That's very helpful. Um, you, you said ideally you want to settle anything that's unsettled now. <laughs> Let's say I have, uh, I have like 15,000 pounds of unsettled and debt, and it's kind of a pain that's like three years old. What do you mean ideally? Are you basically saying it's a nice to have, but it won't affect the decision to lend to you? So it will affect the decision to lend to you. Actually, being more clear, it will affect the number of lenders that are available to you. So if, if I have an unsatisfied CCJ from, say, four years ago, can I get a mortgage? Depending on the size of the CCJ, probably, yes. But what rate will I get? So, and how many options will I have? By leaving something unsatisfied, you may still be able to get a mortgage, but the number of mortgage options that you'll have available to you may be fewer, and the likelihood of getting a higher interest rate is increased as well. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I think you, you brought up a really good point, uh, which was you talked about uh, you know, the number of lenders, and, and I think uh, if I understood you correctly, basically what you're saying is that Imagine when you're looking, going to get a mortgage, there's a pool of, I don't know, 50 to 100 lenders that theoretically could, give, could lend to you. But the more strikes you have against you, for example, an unsettled uh, CCJ, the more strikes against you, that pool starts to shrink and shrink and shrink. Um, and so it's the, thinking about it in terms of the size of the pool sounds to me like a better way to think about it than just yes or no on a, on a mortgage. Absolutely. That's the best way to think about it. So you're absolutely right. It's not just about adverse credit. It's also about criteria. So if the more hurdles I put in the way, um, the fewer lending options I'm going to have available to me. And as such, I'm going to increase the likelihood of me getting a higher interest rate just because there's fewer lenders on the market that are able to lend to me. Got it. Okay. Um... And in this, in, in, in the environment that we're in now, where uh, I think it's fair to say the number of defaults is going to dramatically increase, do you know, what changes, if any, do you see in how uh, lenders evaluate mortgage uh, decisions? So I, I think it will, I mean, we're still in the midst of this, so it makes it, it, makes it harder to kind of predict that outcome. I, I see it as if we start seeing more, let's say mainstream customers, um, incurring defaults, et cetera, will start to see more specialist lending and lenders becoming a bit more open to it. So uh, more, uh, when I say that, I mean high street lenders becoming a bit more open to it because they realize that they can't do the <laughs> level of business they need to do without being a bit more flexible around these things. I think we may also see some government pressure to kind of um, 
ask the lenders to be a bit more loose with their criteria, a bit more flexible with their criteria. If we can show again that this was a one-off instance, you know, COVID created this scenario where I lost my job for a, a couple of months. I couldn't pay my credit card. I defaulted on it. I found another job and I've now settled that default and I'm back to where I was before. If again, if we can give that compelling story, I think there's going to be more flexibility where there'll be less flexibility is if there's a history of these things um, and we haven't shown signs of improvement. We haven't shown that we're on the road to improvement. We're showing that we're still in the midst of address credit and um, not being able to pay my bills or having to take payday loans, that sort of thing. Got it. Okay. Uh, Helen, I'm just conscious of time, so I wanted to wrap up with uh, just three final questions. The first one, what are the top three mistakes that people make when applying for a mortgage? Uh, so it's a tough question. I, I would say um, giving too much information is one. So uh, very much, especially if you're applying to a lender directly, give them the information they ask for. Don't try to oversupply documentation or information. If the lender's asking for it, if the lender needs to know about it, that's what they need to know. Don't tell them more. Um, in terms of other mistakes, actually. So this is a tricky question. Um, so uh, actually, let me just uh, uh, give you a follow-up follow question on that. Uh, let's say that I have a, you know, a default on something that happened a few years ago. I'm not asked to explain it. Should I still volunteer that information as to why uh, this thing happened? No, if, if, if they don't ask about it, you don't need to tell them about it. You, you, if a lender asks you about something and they probably are gonna ask about it, then tell them about it and give them that explanation. Um, at the same time, so if what I would say is if you're talking to a mortgage broker who's <coughs> going to be for you and finding lenders for you, tell yeah. them everything. Tell that's, them what every I was, that's exactly what I was going to say is actually most of these conversations will happy with, happen with brokers. So I should share everything with the broker. Absolutely. The broker needs to know everything because what the lenders are looking for, just to explain, is when, um, when they underwrite a case and they're deciding whether or not they want to lend to you, they are basically looking for threads to pull. And if they find something that they say, you never told us about this and pull on that thread, then they're going to, they're going to start thinking, what else is in the background that we don't know about? That could be a reason that, that, that they're hiding from us. And it might be that you weren't trying to hide anything. It's just, it was missed, missed out or what have you, but that thought's always going to be the back of the underwriter's mind. Um, so it's very much one where be completely upfront with your broker, but if you're dealing with a lender directly, give them what they're asking for. Don't give them more. Um, I, I just thought of another mistake that people tend to kind of um, make when they apply for a mortgage is they tend to try and push the absolute limits of what they can borrow. Um, which is another barrier, especially if we're talking about people that have got adverse credit. Um, if you're trying to maximize your ultimate borrowing, you've already narrowed that field down significantly just by virtue of doing that. If you were to borrow a smaller figure, you're going to have more lenders potentially available to you. And so you're going to likely get a better interest rate, but you're also going to have more lenders that may have been okay with the adverse credit that you had that have been ruled out because of affordability. Got it. Um, and what's the biggest misconception that people have about getting a mortgage? That the lender hates them. Well, the lender <laughs> is actively trying to not lend to them. Uh, <laughs> not true. So lenders, lenders are in the business of lending money. They, they yeah. want to. You've got reasons 
as to why they want, why they should give you that money. So when a broker has a conversation with a lender uh, about a potential case, they're effectively telling a story. This is what this is what mortgage broking is: telling the lender a story about you as an individual and why they should lend to you as an individual. So the difference between a good broker and a bad broker is a bad broker will not tell that story very well. A good broker will kind of explain, give more um, more detail around why certain events happened, why they're unlikely to happen again, that sort of thing. And that will alleviate some of the concerns that a lender has. You know, I, one of the things that I find so fascinating about uh, this conversation we've had is, uh, I never actually thought about the process of getting a mortgage as human. I just assumed that they were banks have these spreadsheets and they get my data and then they say yes or no. But uh, your points about telling a story and then using your broker to kind of get informal guidance before a formal decision is issued, that suggests to me that both the broker, the choice of the broker and their relationship with the lender can actually be quite impactful in uh, getting you from a maybe to a yes. Absolutely. Especially when we're talking about um, specialist areas that the relationship between the broker and the lender can be the difference between a lender saying yes and no. Um, and it, there, there, there is definitely a human element to all of this. Now, there are certain areas where it's black and white and it's absolutely no. So let's say, for example, you don't, you don't have the right to reside in the UK for another six months. That lender is going to say no to you every single time. But if there's something in this gray area of actually, you know what, this falls slightly outside your criteria, but I still think it's a good case. Brokers will often talk to their business development managers. These are people that work for the lender on are trying to promote business with that lender and they'll talk the case through and they'll try and find a way to get this case through for you. So lenders are always looking to lend to people. They just want to find the right people for their circumstances. And if a broker is backing you up and a good broker can back you up in this scenario and say, I really think you should lend to this person, lenders will take that into account in their decision making. What you said earlier was right as well, especially with high street lenders, they do very much have a black and white for certain things. Don't get me wrong, that does exist. But for more specialist areas, the human touch is very important. Great. Uh, I think we're just at the head of the half hour, Herman, so let's wrap up. I just wanted to say thank you very much. Uh, this has been, you know, this is really, I think what this conversation has showed me is that there's so much that one can do to build credit, uh, regardless of one's background. And, uh, and, I, and I think your insights are really, really helpful. I might pick your brain in a couple of weeks again, come back with follow-up questions uh, that I have from people who use bits. But for now, just thank you very much for your time Absolutely. and your advice. You're very welcome. And what, what, what I would say to anybody that has adverse credit is don't be despondent. There are, there are tools, there are ways and means to still purchase a property. Um, there are a lot of things that you can do to help yourself, but having a conversation with an experienced person around this sort of thing can certainly alleviate some of that stress and kind of give you guidance as to how's the best way I can go forward so that I can succeed in this. Because again, the mortgage broker doesn't get paid unless you get a mortgage. So they want to get you a mortgage and they're gonna try and find ways to help you get that mortgage mortgage you've just got to put yourself in a position to succeed got it emil thanks so much it was nice talking to you no worries all right take care bye bye, bye.